It's December 22nd, 2022. This is Rook. Well, hi there. Welcome to episode 225 of Rook. A Christmas wish. Global action for those imprisoned and tortured in Iran. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam, Dustan Aziz. Durud Bashama. Here's a Christmas wish. Global action for those being imprisoned and tortured in Iran. Let me start with an apology to all of you. I know the holiday time is meant to be festive rather than restive. It would certainly be my preference to be making some kind of Jolly Santa reference. But this Christmas, it's hard for those of us of Iranian background to ignore what's happening in the homeland getting real. And maybe this is exactly the kind of family time when it makes sense to make an international appeal. As we all know, the ongoing revolution led by brave young souls in Iran has drawn the reaction of the murderous regime at the helm of the Islamic Republic. And thankfully, much of the world has woken up about the horrendous prospects and patterns of unjust executions. People have come together to draw up international solutions. Say her name, be his voice, don't let them die, let the people know about those on death row. The new spate of political guardianships has had an impact. Some say it's behind the slowing of capital punishment in recent days. But it's important to remember, this apartheid regime is still eliminating its dissenting citizens in other ways. A Christmas wish. Global action for those being imprisoned and tortured in Iran. The reality is that there are approximately 20,000 prisoners of conscience in jail in Iran from just the last three months. That is women and men who have been arrested and detained for taking part in the protests against the current dictatorship. Who are they? Young teenagers, brilliant poets, brave women, courageous boys, filmmakers like Jafar Panahi, actors like Tarane Ali Dusti, and journalists. Let's not forget that the Islamic Republic of Iran has long held one of the world's worst press freedom rankings. About as bad as you can get. But it's not just that the prisoners of conscience are being detained. It's that this Christmas, many of those imprisoned will be experiencing what activist Nargis Mohammadi has called white torture. That is the use of solitary confinement for extended periods of time, a practice that has been widely condemned as a violation of human rights. The idea is to break some of these prisoners so badly that if they are released, they'll be so psychologically damaged they can barely return to who they were. Hell, this regime doesn't hide from this brutality. In 2013, Iran's supreme leader himself acknowledged that solitary confinement amounted to psychological torture. It should come as little surprise that Iran has never signed the United Nations Convention against such practices. A Christmas wish. Global action for those being imprisoned and tortured in Iran. Beyond this extended solitary confinement, tortures reported by prisoners vary from beatings to being kept in extremely cold temperatures to humiliation, harassment, incarceration in psychiatric wards. Angry interrogators threaten their families and lie about their whereabouts. The denial of medical care has become a common complaint of prisoners' families. Try to take a mental snapshot of what is happening here. A kid is arrested for participating in a protest, is thrown into solitary, and doesn't even have access to her needed medical care? Look, it's a holiday time in much of the world. I know. This is not what you want to hear. This is not the way to end your year. This is not what we talk about when Santa is about to appear. 
But there is a humanitarian crisis going on in Iran that is well beyond whether they execute some of those names we recognize or not. There is a systematic attempt to break the lives and spirits of thousands of innocents. There is an epidemic of incarceration that is going to affect an entire generation. Whether it's hope for an amnesty, international pressure, or awareness of just why the good people of Earth need this regime gone, here's a Christmas wish. Global action for those being imprisoned and tortured in Iran. Coming up, a feature conversation in our studio with lawyer and human rights activist Kaveh Shahruz, plus the Rook Roundtable. This is Rook, episode 225, The Uprising, A Christmas Wish, Global Action for Those Imprisoned in Iran. And here we are, coming to you from the Rook Studio in Toronto. Hi, Pega. Hello. Hi, Shia. Hi, oh, Azam. Yes, that's a great music. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, one of my choices. That's yeah. a. Um, I think I was telling you earlier that um, I spent a couple of years living in New York. That was. Uh, that, that, I think that album's from. It's a Radiohead record from about four years ago, five years ago, and I just love that song. Yeah. A song called "The Numbers." Yeah. That was the music in the background. Yeah. Um, and again, I mean, I. Uh, Normally, the show you do like three days before Christmas, mm-hmm. at least in the West, is you know you're playing Christmas songs and you're wishing everybody a a great Christmas and family yeah. time and eggnog and turkey and um, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty weird year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's weird. how we all felt a couple nights ago for Shabayanda too. I mean, we had that conversation on Monday. It's been a very different year this year. Yeah, yeah. There was some discrepancy I saw around <laughs> Yalda in my <laughs> in my <laughs> feeds. Some yeah. people celebrating, some people getting very angry at people celebrating, and then it was the type of celebration. Like if you want to mark Yalda in a certain <laughs> way, yes. But if you're running around in a resort saying I'm dancing, it's Yalda. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm supportive of celebration. Yes, yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. As a as a as a an FU to the regime, you think? Yes, because it's it's counterattack kind of. They they want us to be mourned, and I think it's better to be celebrated. Yeah, it's not. I you know, for me, it's just like the way I feel. Mm-hmm. I just yeah, don't feel like exactly going and dancing and you know, Christmas shopping and and uh, you know, I just the whole thing doesn't. I'm not up for it. Then maybe I I need to be. I need to compartmentalize more, but I'm um, just too, it's too, there's too, yeah, we were too deep in what's going on in, in Iran. Uh, speaking of which, um, really happy to have Kavish Shahruz coming in today for a big feature interview in the Rook studio. Um, the lawyer and human rights activist, um, he has been quite prominent. You know, Kavish has been very active especially when it comes to political prisoners, which mm-hmm. is in concert with kind of the theme of today and that um, essay that I just did. But uh, when it comes to Iranian political prisoners, it's been something he's been working on for years. Uh, but I think in the last few months, in the last few weeks, uh, people around the world have come to know him mm-hmm. uh, in a much more prominent way because he's been very solid and outspoken. And he, one thing I like about him is he he doesn't, he's not afraid 
to give his opinion on mm-hmm. the path forward in in some ways and in in some cases it it uh it, it draws detractors uh so one of the things for example that he's currently saying he uh put out a video today i'm gonna have to ask him about he's been talking about political guardianships which is something for sure we'll talk about but but he he put out a video today basically saying he believes in civil disobedience uh, like Mm. passive resistance like he doesn't believe in violence um in as a solution Mm -hmm. for iran uh he doesn't think that's going to be the path that will work and um certainly there's a lot of people i know who really want you know or believe that it has to go to a a violent place so it's going to be it'll be interesting to hear his point but he does these things and gets conversations going and uh so kava shahru is joining us coming up in the in the rook studio in just a little bit um i wanted to mention right at the top of the show our facebook page was hacked uh yeah i mean it was uh well you guys know we've been talking about the last few days in our mm-hmm. team it, it just did stopped appearing at some point i don't know if this was a uh zuckerberg special <laughs> or if um what what happened why it's gone down but um being the resilient kids that we are uh we have responded by putting up another facebook page yes. New page uh, is so you want to take down our facebook page we'll just put another one up uh, so the new one is called Rook Media, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and um, we lost all our followers <laughs> because the Facebook page is gone. So if you would like to, I mean, I, a lot of people no longer go on Facebook or don't, it's not their preferred platform. But for those of you who do appreciate Facebook and want to c- consume Rook content there or be get our notices and everything there, Go to Rook Media and um, re-follow us or join us there on Facebook as well because uh, we had we put a new page up. It's kind of like a it's kind of like when you move. It's house cleaning. Mm-hmm. You have to restart the page anew. It's yeah. the first time I missed Facebook. I, I'm not on Facebook anymore. And as soon as this happened, I was like, oh, maybe maybe it's time to come back. That's right. You personally are not on Facebook. No, I'm not. You just gave up on it. Yeah, years ago. Well. That's what the the hipsters do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's not Facebook's not cool, but you know, to to actually completely de get off it and yeah. stuff. I mean, uh, between Instagram and Twitter, I just didn't see yeah. a need for it. And it and would be a good political thing. Like I I refuse to kowtow to Meta, except you're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, so, so I can't yeah, really say that. It's a contradiction. Um, yeah. On the note of um, Twitter and Instagram and social media and whatnot, I was going to mention I so appreciate the fact that in the midst of Persian Twitter, Kavish Ahruz has his tweets in English as well. I really appreciate that, and it's been a source. But of, you read Persian. I do, but much slower than. I read yeah. English, so you know. But yeah, definitely his tweets have been things I've read. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms, uh, including our Facebook, our new Facebook. Uh, we're on this ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on our Telegram channel. Uh, all of those things available from our website, rookmedia.com, that has all of our back episodes and different programming etc it's all there so we have this is a a regular show today Mm -hmm. and there's christmas i guess on sunday Mm -hmm. uh and then monday it's called boxing day in canada yeah i say that because there's places in the world where it's not boxing day i don't think in the states they have boxing day 
They do. No, don't they, they don't. I don't think it's called Boxing Day. Write to us, Iranian Americans. Just imagine that was Boxing Day. No, everywhere. I, because you're Canadian. Yeah, and, and there's some, some some places are just like, what is what are you what are you saying? What does that mean? I mean, I would think the states out of all places would have yet another day for consumerism, but well, they have Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. Every day is a day for consumerism in America. <laughs> but anyway, true. we'll be here uh, on Boxing Day for mm-hmm. our regular Monday show as well. Um, Kavish is coming up. Let's do our Rook Roundtable. And uh, just cover some things that have been in the in the news in and around the uprising and what's going on uh, in Iran. This is, I mean, it's no mistake, or it's no surprise, I suppose, to say this is a somewhat fallow period. Mm-hmm. There's there's weeks we go through where there's massive demonstrations and there's right. um, horrific images, and this one's been a at least the last couple of days has been a, a little slower, and yet there have been things going on. One of those things is this idea that is being meted out and carried out in various parts of the world now of political guardianships. Now, if you're listening to our our show on Monday, uh, Avin Tavakoli, the lawyer uh, who is involved in this stuff uh, in Zurich, she explained uh, to us a little bit about political guardianships. Uh, And I'm going to talk to Kaveh about this Mm -hmm. as well, because he's a lawyer and has been trying to promote this idea in a Canadian context or in North America as well, because it's mainly centered in the EU, in Germany and and in Europe right now. But it's the idea of of prominent political types, those, I mean, who actually have political office, I guess, like Mm -hmm. MPs, et cetera, members of parliament, sponsoring or becoming the guardians of Iranians mm-hmm. who are potentially on death row um, or who are on death row uh, in Iran uh, to kind of bring awareness and pressure on the regime to not follow through with the executions. So w- what do we have in, in you want to talk about this, what, yeah. what, what are the updates on this? I mean, essentially, it's like you said, it's it's f- it's for political or politicians of some sort using their political weight. Um, and the action is primarily meant to stop the wave of executions, or at least that's what kind of sparked um, this kind of guardianship. But um, what I wanted to mention, which was significant, is that this past Tuesday, all of the members of the National Council of Austria actually announced that they would sponsor Iranians detained during recent protests. That's like the Austrian parliament. It's 138 members. So that means 138 prisoners will now be sponsored or have a guardian of some sort via the National Council of Austria. And it was just such a significant... Via Vienna. Via Vienna, that's right. And it was just such a significant number of individuals who stepped up that I thought, you know, definitely it's something worth mentioning and talking about because we've seen that it seems like it's working. I mean, really, we haven't seen, you know, the number of executions that we had been seeing prior to some of this international talk of guardianships and things like that. Yeah, I want to ask uh, Kava Shahriz about this as well. Because I, the efficacy of these, any of these kind of mm-hmm. um, um efforts in the diaspora, whether the regime is actually listening and responding and and reflexively doing things or not doing things because of these these actions. But that is really impressive. What a yeah. show of solidarity from shout out to Austria. That's right. Um, thank you for that, Austria. The same in, in the same category as does this make a difference, uh, and the hope that it does, mm-hmm. is this UN special counsel um, fact finding mission. Now mm-hmm. where we left off <laughs> was that there was famously, of course, at this point, this UN special counsel meeting where there was a vote taken to, in fact, have a fact-finding mission to mm-hmm. investigate what is happening in Iran, atrocities, etc. Right. And 
we were waiting for members to be, uh, for the UN to appoint some people who are mm-hmm. going to run this mission. That news has come out this week, yep. although not to universal applause. Mm-hmm. So tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, so also on Tuesday, I guess Tuesday was a busy day in terms of news for us. Um, they did, in fact, uh, appoint three individuals for the fact-finding mission. So those three individuals consisted of the chair of the mission, who is a um, woman by the name of Sarah Hussein of Bangladesh, and then two additional members, Shaheen Sardar Ali of Pakistan, and I'm going to definitely butcher this individual's name, so I apologize, but Vivian Kristovic of Argentina, I believe. And so what you were mentioning is that um, Pakistan and Bangladesh were not exactly on the list of countries that you know we would think individuals would be appointed from, especially because Pakistan was one of the countries that voted against the special session on Iran. But the counter argument to that is that these individuals are supposed to be um, individuals who are picked based on their skills, um, their professional backgrounds, and not so much the country of birth or citizenship. And also we have to remember that this is an independent and democratic body. So they shouldn't be swayed by the fact that, you know, they may be from a specific country that voted no against, you know, the mission. So we'll see. I mean, it's one of those things that... These specific people did not vote no against the mission. That's right. They weren't even at um, Uh. the UN at the time that the vote took place, as far as I know. Um, So, you know, it it shouldn't be a personal attack on these individuals or, you know... um, discrediting them for the fact that they happen to come from although i did see some yeah some people who with heartfelt yeah uh angry messages sort of saying how dare you why would you go to people from these countries mm-hmm. to for for this mission and and they saw it i think uh, nazanin afshin jam was some, one of the people i saw mm-hmm. who was who was exercised about this and and saw it as uh, um, the UN not taking this seriously or yeah. kind of sweeping it under the rug or something by appointing people who are suspect. And then I also saw people saying, oh, these are longtime human rights advocates. Well, that's and, what I was going to say. Yeah. These individuals, all of them in one capacity or another, have been at the forefront of varying campaigns and, and trials and issues, all for the fight for human rights, Mm. um, in many cases for the fight for um, equality, um, for women especially. And so, you know, I think, again, it's one thing to keep in mind that this is supposed to be an independent body. And it, it, you know, the same could be said of someone who's Iranian. You know, would people be saying, oh, because someone's Iranian, they shouldn't be on this committee? Well, yeah. It's a little bit like you don't want the referee from the the country that you know doesn't favor you to be refing the World Cup game, yeah, right? But that's the that's the same argument. You know, I, I could play devil's advocate and say someone who is familiar with it could also defend it in a better mm. way, right? So, I mean, if if you're from, for well, example, why are you playing devil's advocate? That's, in, in your, ter- that's your position, in terms, isn't no, it? No, I mean, I mean, in terms of people who have argued why these individuals, uh-huh. I'm saying the argument no, to but play. I mean, you don't have to, you, you agree with these individuals, it sounds like. I, I don't know if I know them well enough oh, to agree or okay. disagree. So you want to play devil's advocate? I want to play devil's advocate for <laughs> right, now until okay. I have an informed opinion. All right, all right fair enough. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to mention with the, um, just to turn back to what, that opening essay and the mm-hmm. political prisoners, and what, where I was trying to go with that in terms of, the horrendous news of, of the kind of torture that mm-hmm. people are going through. Again, we, we know people who have friends and family who are That's currently right. detained and who are being kept in solitary. And uh, it, it is just so heartbreaking the way um, the regime is using this uh, 
as a way to break people, break the spirits, you know, and, and in a way they can do this more under the radar if they don't mm. execute, you know, it's, it's mm. like they, they kind of woke up to the fact that the world has woken up to the execution mm-hmm. thing. And so it's like, all right, well, we can get, we can accomplish the same mission by psychologically and physically torturing these people so much so that they're, you know, useless by the time they ever get out. Um, it, it's it's really sick. Uh, but on that note, um, the Kurdish Iranian rapper Salman Yassin, mm-hmm. who Yassin, has yeah. Yassin, who has been detained for a few weeks now, and, and I think he was one of those that was on death row. Yes. that they had said yes. he was going to be executed. Yes. News came out a couple of days ago that he attempted suicide. He did not, was not able to go through with it, so he is still alive. Yeah. But um, I don't know if you heard anything more about... No, I mean, just uh, his father actually um, said that he's alive and he's o- okay. I mean, okay in terms of like he's not... Not dead. dead yeah. But but think about when somebody, you know, somebody's been active in the movement like mm-hmm. this, you know, and he's outspoken, he's a rapper, you know, is arrested and detained, imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Think about what must be happening in there mm-hmm. that this kid would want to you know kill himself yeah right and this is not the first time we've heard this no we've had those 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 sad suicides of those young teenagers who get released and then kill themselves i mean they're so tortured by what happened Mm -hmm. in there uh going back to what you were saying about the fact that you know in in the absence of the executions um we almost think okay well that's a good thing and it is a good thing of course but i was actually talking to a friend of mine um earlier today and i was saying you know it, it's a great thing that we haven't heard about these executions, but like everything else that's been going on in the last couple of months, it's such a roller coaster of emotions because I come to be happy that there's no news of executions, of course, but then the realist in me realizes that, well, that doesn't mean that under the radar there no. isn't so much other no, things No, it's happening. positive, but it's not a win. Exactly. Because, because what are they doing instead? That's right. right. Yeah. And that's where my mind goes. And then yeah. it goes to, you know, the stories of the torture and the rape and the suicides post being freed from these from you know being detained and then stories like this and all of it is just gut-wrenching yeah um the other thing i want to mention that in the, and again i i um kava who's coming up it talks a lot about uh the opposition um unifying or the lack of unity in terms mm-hmm. of officially putting together some folks who are going to be comprise some kind of leadership council right. or something. This is one of the things that he was one of the advocates of that Kavish Shahruz was in, and it just hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the yesterday, I guess, we see a photo of Emmanuel Macron, the, mm-hmm. the president of France. Yes. First of all, what is it with Macron? Macron is quickly becoming... I mean, he's like, where's Waldo? It's like yeah. there's a, the, he's everywhere, you know? <laughs> there he is at the Everything World Cup. There's a there's photo a, op for him, isn't Everything. It? I mean, yeah. you know, like, and, and even I felt bad for Mbappe, like, you know, at the World Cup. Like, the kid has just lost the World Cup and, you know, I mean, scored a hat trick and all that. But he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's trying to, cons- he's, you know, he's upset. Right. And, you know, it's like, dude, and Macron's coming over doing a photo op, like, supposedly taking care of him. I don't know if they're close friends, but to me it looked like <laughs> Mbappe was just like, yeah, okay, uh, thanks, Prez. Can I have my space here, please? You know, this isn't a, a photo op. But anyway, um, President Macron is seen in this photo, I think with the, the leader of Germany as well, uh, with the foreign minister of Iran. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I actually, I looked into that a little bit because I saw the photo and I was kind of taken aback because just weeks ago he had met with Masih Ali Najad, who is... Well, with a few activists. With a few activists, yes. And so, you know, it's one thing to meet with someone like that, an activist fighting for this cause and having those conversations. And then on the flip side, to have a photo with the foreign minister of Iran. Yeah. So um, I, I looked into it a little bit. And actually, the, they were at a conference called Baghdad 2, which is a conference that is organized and supported by Jordan. And the main initiative behind it is to bring together major players in an effort to ease regional tensions with a specific look on Iraq. Mm-hmm. So that's what this gathering or this conference or whatever was all about. Mm-hmm. And um, I did read bits and pieces, I think of a statement that he actually made saying, you know, they were just in attendance together and it wasn't so much so that he was there in support or was shaking hands per se with um, the the Iranian foreign minister. So that's some of the conversations and some of that's the That's not what it looked like. Definitely not what that, it looked that like. That sounds like damage control. I because, think so. Because it, it's not what it looked like at all. And, and uh, they looked like they were having a jolly old time, too. Yeah, smiles on everyone's yeah, faces. Yeah, and I, I, yeah I, I don't know about that. I mean, and even if that's true, that they happen to be at the conference, you don't have to stand near the guy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to smile and take, you know, Macron's aware that there's photographers oh, around. I mean, come on. Yeah, and well, so what Cave said, he tweeted about this saying, um, this is what you get when you don't unify our opposition, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but the idea being we haven't offered who the official envoys are for right. uh, Iran to the world. So um, these leaders will just meet with, with you anyone, know, <laughs> it seems. Or with the regime, I guess. I mean, it's really disappointing because it, it really, I, I, you know, I, I mean, there's only so many times and so many ways we can say this. But it increasingly, again, becomes clear, I would say, that the leadership of the major Western countries mm-hmm. is not really interested in regime change in Iran or, or, or are hedging their bets or mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, taking the temperature. Yeah. Because, because they, despite what they say, and I've done these essays about this. Words are not enough. All these things that we've, right. we've said for weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, where where, where is the Biden administration in the face of it? I don't want to. I, I know that the comparisons are problematic because they're different situations. They're yeah. different. There's different imperatives. There's different stakes. Whatever. But you know, Vladimir Zelensky comes to the United States, speaks to the Congress, leaves with a few more billion dollars. What is it? What's the tab 100 now? Hundred billion. Bi- no, so billion, hundred billion, billion right? dollars. Excuse me, right? hundred billion in ten months, and with an extra forty-four million just as of recent. Okay, well, that's yeah, that's a fair chunk of change. Yeah, yeah, and and so contrast that to, mm-hmm. I mean, what exactly is the action on Iran, other than nothing, <laughs> nothing, and you know, some equivocation Thoughts about and maybe we won't do the nuclear deal, which they haven't ruled out. That's right. So they're still they're still considering. I, it would look like actually hoping for mm-hmm. uh, some kind of negotiations with the, the current regime, which suggests, of course, that they, they're really not taking seriously the idea that the Iranian people want to get rid of this uh, mm-hmm. um, this murderous, you know, theocracy. 
Um, so yeah, it was really disappointing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, you're kind of like, wow, Macron, aren't you the guy that was meeting with those activists? On the other hand, it's really not that surprising. No, and it, I mean... It, it's, it's, it, it's just the same, it keeps, more of the same. Yeah, it keeps going back to, you know, um, I love this, this slogan or chant or whatever we want to call it of, we don't want the West to save us, but we want them to stop participating and cooperating with the regime enabling right? the murder exactly yeah. and, and that's exactly what it is it's you know and it's like you said we've had the essays over the past couple of weeks with the thoughts and prayers aren't enough words weeks. aren't it's enough been it's, months it, that's exactly I mean, it yeah, we've been saying this for it's 14 weeks now it's 14 yeah. weeks that we in you know other than the un special session which we still don't know what the outcome of it is right. going to be I, I mean what you know where how was the world stepped up mm-hmm. i mean you know uh, our prime minister in canada is went to a couple of rallies and made some fiery speeches. IRGC is still not fully on the terrorist list yeah. in Canada. Yeah, and it's obvious, I mean, there's no secret. Uh, by now, I think everybody knows that um, Iranian regime, they are supporting Putin in, in mm-hmm. a, against Ukraine. Right. You know, so... <laughs> well, I mean, Zelensky said that. Yes, yeah. exactly. you know, but, but he, Like, he's coming invited to Congress. It's like, yes. well, hey, guys, take a listen. To, he's the one saying he called the Iranian regime uh, the terrorist regime, yeah. actually, and got a response yeah. from Iran today. Uh, the, you know, yeah, the so if you want to help Ukraine, also you have to get yeah. rid of Iranian regime. No, but, but there's, there's just not that... That will doesn't exist. Yeah. It either feels like at 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 best, it feels like let's wait this out and see what's going on. At worst, it feels like we're going to wait until this revolution doesn't happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and because we kind of already have our ducks in a row with exactly. this regime in place, and we don't really, you know, we'll kind of speak some language of democracy. Maybe we'll even send the regime. I think. Let me get really cynical here. We'll send them a note saying, by the way, we're going to chest thump a little bit and say some bad things about you and say that you're anti-democratic, but we're really not going to do anything to get rid of you, you know? I mean, you say let's be really cynical, but the reality is, is it really all that cynical when we've seen no evidence against that? It's not even cynical anymore. Like you said, it's been months and this is where we're at after months. And yet in contrast, and as much as we don't want to, you know, compare, we see (laughs) Zelensky walk away with 44 million and all this time and effort and everything invested because it's in the interest of the United States to do that. Yes. And there are, let me just qualify that, because there are a lot of differences. Absolutely. uh, Including the fact that, for example, um, you know, the borders of Ukraine are open to the West to Mm -hmm. to enter, to support. It's a different situation in Iran. But uh, so, you know, and I I can hear some people say, well, what do you want them to do? And we don't want the West to save Iran and all that. And it's, and yes, that's true. What do we want them to do is do what we're asking at do the very something. least. C- call back the, 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 yeah, the, the, the ambassadors, mean, close some diplomatic ties. The, it just feels like, uh, I mean, kudos to the Austrian members of yeah. parliament who are, are you know, being guardians, but but uh, it's pretty disappointing. It it's is. pretty disappointing, and 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 I have to say, you know, for those who uh, in the in the states who were very cynical about the Biden administration actually doing anything when it comes to Iran, mm-hmm. um, even when the previous, I mean, Massa Townsend mentioned this on Monday, even Obama says 
we got it wrong, you know, a few years yeah. ago. But it does. It seems like it's the same playbook. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, let's not interfere. I.e., let's just let things status quo. I mean, we, you know. Yeah, there was a video. I don't. This one didn't really go viral, as far as I know. I just kind of saw it in passing um, of someone I, I think who is Iranian and there's some sort of like a meet and greet or something where where President Biden is shaking hands or signing autographs oh well he or says that, that about the JCBO yeah did you see that one yeah yeah I mean that's exactly it so for anyone who hasn't seen the video it's it shows uh, President Biden shaking hands and signing autographs and whatnot and someone behind the camera asks him about the jcpoa and whether or not um he's going to actually make a statement on it and to say that you know they're not going to proceed with it and he says something ridiculous like something like that's our intent but we're not going to mention it or we're not going to say yeah, it or it's something, something that can be lines. interpreted actually it's actually kind of masterful because it's i, I don't i couldn't i couldn't interpret what it actually means mm-hmm. he says something along the lines of uh, yes, we're not going to go ahead, but we don't want to tell anybody that or yeah, something, something like that. Something along those lines. Which is like, what? What are you saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure that there's some people who think that they know what that means, but yeah. but uh, to me, it sounded like a, a, a fudge, a hedge. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Well, jolly jolly Christmas time, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have any other items for the roundtable? Well, um, I want to get to our featured guest who's waiting. Just to uh, one more note, and I'm, I mean, I think a lot of people saw this photo, but we saw a photo of Adi Karimi meeting with um, the German president um, in, in terms of, you know, talking about the current situation in Iran, which I thought was, you know, an interesting meeting to have happen. And that was, again, step in the right direction, but what the outcome of it is is... You know, we'll yeah. just see. Um, and in terms of um, global rallies, we've got one coming up this Saturday. I That's think. right. So, so there it's is another sort of global day of action. Yeah, it's another global day of action. So this Saturday, um, it's to commemorate everything that's kind of been happening to continue support and solidarity for the revolution. And also, um, Monday marks 100 days since the killing of Masa Amini. So that's why this Saturday, global rally, hopefully across the world. Right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Pega. Thank you, Shia. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. We'll see you on the other side. Let us get to our feature guest here in the Rook Studio. He is actually stepping in here. And he is an Iranian-Canadian lawyer and human rights activist. Uh, he's written widely on human rights issues and international affairs. Kaveh Shahruz is a senior fellow with the McDonald Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad and a former senior policy editor on human rights at Global Affairs Canada. He obtained his degree in law from Harvard Law School, and Kaveh led a recent successful effort to convince Canada's parliament to recognize the 1988 massacre of political prisoners in Iran as constituting crimes against humanity under international law. If you've been following the revolution and activities in the diaspora, you have most definitely seen Kaveh Shahruz at the forefront of much global action these days and right now. It's my pleasure to welcome back Kaveh Shahruz to the Rook Studio. Hello, sir. It's very good to be with you. Nice Thank to you. have you back here. Uh, it's um, I'm glad to have you here. I mean, you you are our featured guest today, and I want to cover a, a lot of things. And fortunately, there are there are a lot of topics that you've been speaking about, or that you've been at the forefront of, as as it happens anyway. So um, let me though start with a general question. It it seems like this is a roller coaster ride for those of us who want change in Iran. Um, and I've been trying to 
encourage people to treat this differently from day trading you know don't don't just look mm. at one day today and freak out if you don't see millions of people in the streets or or um, the appropriate response that you want uh, how are you feeling 14 weeks mm. into this revolution yeah what a great question um, you know I, I think the last time I was here was maybe a month ago or so and I was nothing I, I had nothing but enthusiasm and nothing but uh, optimism about what was gonna happen um, it, it's not to say that I'm not optimistic. I still think this regime is going to fall, and it's going to fall in the sort of short to medium term. But as you say, I mean, it has been a roller coaster. We're going through um, kind of a down period right now. Fewer people on the streets, fewer actions, and less sort of activity abroad. I think the opposition is trying to trying to figure out its game plan. Um, and so, yeah, for somebody like me who wants constant action, it's a bit bit frustrating, but uh, we'll get there. Well, uh, l- let me start with maybe the positive, and I know that you're on side with this because you you put up a video today on your social media accounts, and, and you, you started with something like this. So uh, on Monday, I did a um, an essay where, that I titled, It's a Marathon, Not a Sprint, and I sort of chronicled revolutions throughout history. Um, very few of them happen in 14 weeks. So it's it's sort of unrealistic to think yeah. that everything should be tied up in a bow by now. In fact, some take months, some take years. Yeah. The Russian Revolution, depending on who you ask, is between six and 20 years. Yeah. And would you agree that the ingredients for revolution do tend, are, are there in terms of um, common enemy, that uh, widespread discontent, triggering protests, the beginnings of national strikes, the beginnings of defections, those things are in place, yes? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I would say, uh, you know, you've got a fairly united opposition. I, I use that term broadly, like, you know, people all across both the country and, and diaspora, um, all of whom seem to have identified who the enemy is. Um, no one is talking about reform anymore. Now they've figured out that the solution is the overthrow of this regime. Um, they have, I mean, people are still fleshing this out, but I think there is some sense of what should replace this regime. Um, and I, I would say the most important thing is that the fear has has faded, right? So dictatorships use two things to stay in power. They've got weapons and they've got fear. And I would say in some ways the fear is actually more important than the weapons. The fear is the thing that keeps people quiet, that keeps people at home. That fear is gone and it's not coming back. And so... I would say, yeah, with with that key point, all the elements are there. Um, This regime will fall. It's just a matter of how it will fall and how long it will take. Um, Well, let's get to the the fear piece in a bit because I'm not... Now I'll be the pessimistic one. I'm actually not totally convinced that the fear has eroded. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the fear doesn't seem to be there for the young people who've been on the front lines and who have been fearless, uh, the young women and, and men, et cetera. But um, uh, let, let's get to that. Let me ask you about some things. I was trying to stay positive. So let me stay, let me ask about some positive developments mm-hmm. in, in, in the last few weeks and things that you've specifically talked about. One is this idea of politi- political guardianships. Mm-hmm. We had somebody on on Monday in Zurich talking about this. Um, this is the idea of, um, uh, I don't know, 
do you know is that the term that you use uh, is it a sponsorship it's a sponsorship or, yeah. sponsorships that can or you, or you adopt a prisoner or something along right yeah. sponsorship can imply money and it's yeah. not about money etc mm-hmm. so this is the idea that somebody in a political legitimate political position mm-hmm. in the diaspora an MP or something mm-hmm. like that um, sponsors or becomes the the symbolic guardian of somebody who's mm-hmm. on death row in Iran mm-hmm. and therefore brings more attention and responsibility to it. Is this something that you have been an advocate of? Uh, very much so. I've actually been advocating this long before, um, you know, this this recent uprising. I, I found my found an article of mine from nearly 10 years ago where I was talking about this in the, in the Iran context. So just to give people a little bit of background, I mean, this was done in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, with Soviet political prisoners, um, Jewish ones in particular, because I think the Jewish community was the one that was organizing this concept. Um, and the idea, as you say, there's no legal relationship between the you know the elected official and the, the prisoner. The idea is that what dictatorial regimes want is for prisoners to be forgotten, for them to just kind of languish in a prison cell somewhere. Um, and so the idea of political sponsorship or adopting a prisoner is to combat that by keeping somebody constantly in the news in whatever way you can. And you know, you've got organizations based around this concept, like Amnesty International is based on this very concept that you constantly talk about a prisoner so that they're not forgotten. Um, and the idea is that this MP or you know elected official would be in the media talking about this prisoner, would be in parliament, there would be uh, you know parliamentary committees that would hear about this, and the, the constant sort of drip, drip, drip of talking about the prisoner would keep them um, protected to some extent. The regime in Iran would know that they can't just do whatever they want with these prisoners. This began, I mean, notwithstanding your essay from 10 years ago, <laughs> this began in Germany uh, recently. Yeah. It's it's like an EU, it's like a European yeah. thing. Is there any reason it needs to be a European thing? Or? Not, not at all. It can but, happen anywhere. Um, me and uh, a few friends of mine have been trying to get this off the ground in Canada. Um, I think it's partly because of the holidays and what have you. We've had little success kind of finding MPs willing to take this on, but um, I'm sure it will take off here as well, and there's no reason why people all over the world can't do it. It's really smart because it's not just about, it seems to me, creating awareness. It's also that the regime then is not just, if it goes ahead with an execution, it's not just executing the person. It's taking a shot at the right. at the high profile person yeah. in the West who's become the guardian of that person too, right? Correct. Yeah, it's it's a way of um, you know disrespecting the country that that MP represents to some extent. Um, so that's that's a certainly a positive aspect of it. The other positive aspect of it is that it uh, sort of brings MPs or elected officials, Congress people, whatever, into the discussion about Iran. They may not know much about it, but once they adopt a prisoner, they become personally invested in this cause. Right, and so right. that that network of elected officials is valuable, even if you know for other for other issues. Uh, the Avin Tabakoli, who we had on the lawyer on on Monday in Zurich, who was talking about this, it was her contention when I kind of pushed back and said, well, this is great, but what's the efficacy of this? How's it really going to make any difference? She said, well, actually, there haven't been any executions since Majid Reza, uh, mm-hmm. which is over a week ago now, yeah. despite the fact that there were all these warnings, this so-and-so mm-hmm. is going to be executed tomorrow, et cetera, all these heartfelt and, and terrifying um, um, announcements. Um, do you think it's been effective in that way? I, I don't know. I mean, it's always impossible to prove this correlation causation thing. But uh, certainly, I, I you know, my experience over the years in talking to political prisoners is that they say when foreign uh, politicians talked about us when we were in prison, our conditions would improve, our interrogators would back off a little bit, you know, things got better. 
Um, and so I assume the fact that so many people globally have been talking about these particular prisoners that were on death row, um, it, it, I would say more likely than not, it, it, had a, it had a role to play. See, I'm really confused about this. And maybe it's, as you say, it's impossible to tell. But because on the one hand, um, obviously, we do whatever we can and, and say her name is mm-hmm. part of that is about, yep. you know, say their name, save a life. That idea that if we bring attention to this, the, um, we can we can save people's lives uh, who may be on death row or um, or be getting tortured in prison, et cetera. Um, on the other hand, you know, we've lived through Navi Dafkari. Uh, a high-profile athlete in Iran. Mm. They were going to execute him. There was an international outcry, certainly in the Iranian diaspora. Mm. A lot of people were saying his name. The regime at that point demonstrated to me that they don't give a fuck. You know, it was like, well, we're going ahead with this anyway. Mm -hmm. They executed him. So um, it's hard to tell whether these things make a difference or not. Yeah, I mean, the relationship I don't think is is sort of a direct one-to-one relationship where if you say somebody's name, you save their lives. It's like there has to be a buildup of, of noise. Um, so with Navid Afghari, I mean, yes, a lot of people were saying his name in the Iranian diaspora. I don't recall if very many politicians were involved or speaking out on his behalf. I, I feel like maybe U.S. wrestling put out a statement or something. But by and large, like it was it, it kind of got it, it went unnoticed. Um the idea is that you sort of build up this crescendo of, of, of noise about these political prisoners so that the regime knows that everyone in the world is watching them. Um, and yeah, hopefully it will work. But okay, so. so let me ask you about something that I was talking about in the in the, the opening of this show and we were talking about in the roundtable, which is that whilst it's, gr- it's, a, it's a positive step if we can stave off mm-hmm. executions, we're still facing a situation where there's 20,000 people who've been jailed, imprisoned for um, dissent, political Mm -hmm. protests uh, since this revolution began, and that we have a great deal of evidence that a lot of those folks are being kept in solitary and are being tortured. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that, um, so so on the one hand, okay, the focus on executions, let's hope that that is having an effect on the executions not happening. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it seems we desperately need to put some focus on the way the regime is still breaking the souls of these people, many of whom are some of the um, most passionate or um, well-connected activists who've, uh, who who they take and, and keep in solitary. They keep away from their families. They're not allowed to speak to anyone. They psychologically and physically torture them. Speak to me about that. I, I think your concern is a very valid one, um, obviously, we ought to cons- we ought to be concerned about people on death row, but that should not come at the cost of us, um, you know, forgetting about twenty thousand other people. The problem with the twenty thousand other people is that that number is so large that it's hard to kind of focus on any one particular person. And that's I, I think the benefit of the sponsorship idea is that you take individuals and you kind of focus on their stories. Um, uh, you know, I, I I see no real answer to this except. Um, you try to mobilize the international community and international institutions, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty, what have you, as much as possible. But really, the answer is to the, all this is going to be political. It's going to be in the streets. It's going to be us being able to overthrow this regime. We're not going to be able to champion 20,000 detainees, unfortunately. No, my hope is if we make a big deal mm-hmm. about political prisoners in Iran and the, the conditions uh, under which they're being kept and tortured, et cetera, that... Um, that there will be a shift 
if in fact the regime is worried about mm-hmm. these kind of um, denouncements mm-hmm. uh, from prominent political people, et cetera, in the, in the West, um, that, this, that, that might make some, some kind of difference. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, talking about it, making the world aware of this condition, um, this horrendous, horrendous condition in, in Iranian prisons, which is not new, by the way. You know, this is a, a 43-year story, um, is is bound to be helpful. Um, it's just, it's it's going to take a different strategy than what we can use with respect to those on death row. What do you know about what they do to political prisoners? Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time working on this. Um, I know it better kind of in terms of what they did in the 80s, but it seems like they've revived some of those those tactics. Um, it's solitary confinement with the intention of actually breaking people's spirits. Um, it's gruesome physical torture. It's sexual abuse. Um, and it's, you know, psychological torture, too, where you kind of keep people in limbo where they don't know whether or not they're going to be executed or not. And that really... Um, affects people like it, it really breaks them I've seen political prisoners that came out of prisons in the 80s and they're just they're they're broken people unfortunately. yeah yeah, yeah. A friend of mine was describing her sister coming out of a situation like mm-hmm. that, and she said that her eyes were just dead. Yeah. There was that that person was no longer yeah. in their body. So, so, so in a way, one of the fears that I have is that um, the regime sort of gets away with a with a participation medal for not mm-hmm. uh, executing people, but is doing the damage anyway yeah. by torturing uh, and worse and getting and doing that under the radar. To yeah, that's extent. that's a very real risk, and I think you know we. In the opposition ought to be smart in how we talk about it. You know, we should not limit our critique just to the executions. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we should be talking about this as a, as a much larger sort of systemic problem. Okay, so you said we in the opposition. Let me segue into that. There's a photo, uh, I guess it was it came out in the last 24 hours, of the, the president of, of France, leader of Germany, mm-hmm. and the foreign minister of Iran walking mm-hmm. together, actually smiling, mm-hmm. uh, having a meeting together. Um, you tweeted or you, you said something like, this is what happens when we don't properly unify our opposition. Yeah. Explain what you were getting at. Well, we had uh, a few months where it seemed like we could achieve anything, right? We got governments to change laws. Um, there were high-profile meetings. Macron met with a number of Iranian dissidents and gave them his word that he was going to sort of uh, stand with the opposition. That was a golden moment that we really should have capitalized on. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't. Like, we didn't present a united front to the world. We didn't tell the world who they ought to be negotiating with, which body they ought to be negotiating with. Um, and, you know, now Macron is out there and he's meeting Iranian officials. Um, it's, you know, it wasn't a formal meeting. It was a kind of an informal walk and talk sort of thing. What, what was but, it? Uh, I mean, there was a. There was why a was it? I mean, what? yeah, I, I don't know why it was. I mean, it was a it was a conference happening in Jordan, if I'm not mistaken, having to do with uh, stabilizing Iraq. Um, but the very fact that Macron would be willing to be in that photo op, I think, tells you something about, you know, his his view of the prospects of our of our success. Right? He seems to be hedging his bets now. Especially because Macron is the guy yeah. that we were fetting last month for it's, meeting exactly. with prominent I mean, activists. Exactly. Right? I mean, like he went from meeting with with Raisi at the UN, shaking hands with him meeting with Iranian dissidents uh, about a month or a month and a half later, and then now back to kind of meeting Iranian officials. Um, what that's, and, and you know what, I, I fault Macron. Obviously, he ought to be on the side of, of justice. But at the end of the day, Macron has to represent the interests of France, right? Mm-hmm. He's not our representative. We ought to create the conditions for Macron and other um, international figures 
to come to our side, to negotiate with us, to do all that. And I, I just feel like we have not done enough of that. And in a parallel track, we're hearing, um, it, it comes out in dribs and drabs, but from the American administration, the Biden administration, uh, for for all that there was some lip service, we support the, mm -hmm. the, the people of the women of Iran, et cetera. Um, there's some very conspicuous statements that get made um, whether it's by the Robert Malley or or uh, who's the special envoy, envoy or, or by other members of the administration, Blinken, et cetera, that suggests that they're kind of still on track for the JCPOA. Yeah, they, they seem to be doing that. Um, Joseph Burrell from the EU just recently met with Iranian officials and talked about and tweeted about, you know, reviving the JCPOA. Um, you know, these foreign officials are, as I just mentioned a minute ago, they're hedging their bets. They don't know which way this is going to go. It's our responsibility to make the case to them in as professional and as united a way that they ought to be coming to our side. Our side is the better bet for them to make. So what does that mean in as professional as united a way? Mm -hmm. If you could snap your fingers, mm -hmm. what do you want? I would want a coalition of uh, leaders in the diaspora and inside the country to the extent that it's safe for people inside the country to do this. Um, to come together, I would want them to form an organization um, around, you know, a, a, a charter or certain set of values. Um, that organization would have different branches. One would be dealing with foreign governments. One would be tracking, you know, political prisoners. One would come up with uh, political policy, you know, post-revolution policy, doing all sorts of things that an organization ought to do. That's how you look professional. That's how you look serious. That's how you get taken seriously by international uh, international figures. It's not. It's not at this stage. It's not a totally new idea. No. It's been floated for of weeks course, now. No. What's the issue? Why hasn't it happened? Um, you know, you ought to be asking the the principals that question. But uh, I think you probably know. Um, <laughs> what, what, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what 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 is the? I mean, what's wh at least what's the argument for this for it not no. happening? Uh, when I mean, when I you hear no. from people, I mean, I'm sure you got some because you were advocating this yep. to a certain extent, mm -hmm. and this this coalition idea. There were some names thrown mm -hmm. out there: um, Massey, Hamid, Smailoun, mm -hmm. uh, Reza Pahlavi, mm -hmm. Ali Karimi. These names have been out there. Nazanin uh, 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 Bani This idea that these people were going to come together and mm -hmm. there would be some Justice League, you know. Uh, superpower group that would come together um, and uh, for, I'm assuming you probably also got some pushback on that when you were advocating for it um, yeah. what what has the pushback been and what it's the what is the reason been that yeah. this hasn't happened I mean I think the the people that you named some of them have been pretty open about wanting to be in a coalition some of them have been more silent on that um, I think there is a degree of sort of different thoughts about the direction this should go whether this should be a kind of more partisan organization, nonpartisan, and, and people kind of view each other with, I don't want to say distrust is not the right word, but they project onto other people certain politics and, and values that may or may not be accurate, but that's, I, I would say, my best understanding is that's why this has not yet uh, come together. That's quite a political answer, Kavish Arus. <laughs> I mean, for someone who's frustrated that that yeah. hasn't happened. I'm incredibly frustrated. Yeah. That's very diplomatically put, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still hold out hope that uh, these people um, and others, I mean, these names that you mentioned are obviously very impressive people, but I noticed that you didn't mention anybody inside the country. Obviously, this has to be first and foremost. Led well, by I, I, those are not my, no, I mean, I I'm, I'm naming what was in no, social media yeah, yeah, no. for the last No, month. that was not a critique of you. I yeah, mean, but, yeah. but those are the names that get thrown around. For obvious reasons, people inside the country would... Um, have to have a different relationship to this coalition 
but they have to be involved in it, certainly. Mm. Um, I mean, I yeah. think one of the things that was being said that I that I understand was let this happen organically, let mm-hmm. this build, let's not try and impose some kind of leadership structure mm-hmm. to this. I mean, we, to be fair, we've interviewed uh, some of the frontline demonstrators. Uh, I, I think I recall a, a young woman in Shiraz or, or, or Mashhad, one of them who said, we don't want this, you know, coalition. We're we're enjoying, or we're the whole point is this is a leaderless movement. This mm-hmm. is about the people, etc. Yeah. Um, that that was the argument for many weeks. It does seem now, however, yeah. all of a sudden when there's a fallow period, that it would be nice to have some common voice being spoken. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, with with all respect to this activist that you spoke with, I can understand why you know some people on the ground might not want a leader, and it's been an advantage to some extent because the regime doesn't know who to target. Um, but at some point, movements need to articulate their demands in political terms, and they need to make demands of certain people, and that needs to find um, an institutional voice, right? It needs to uh, you know be represented by a person or an institution. You look at movements that kind of uh, start out very strong but but fail like I think of like Occupy Wall Street for example it was a movement that was built very much w- with the idea that it would be leaderless and it fizzled out because it couldn't coherently pre- present its demands I, I, I fear the same thing will happen um, with our movement uh, and but and so if I were to say well we've got you know there's all kinds of impressive high profile mm-hmm. people who are doing all you know things all at the same time there's mm-hmm. Um, Hossein Ronaki yep. making speeches or, or putting mm-hmm. out statements from inside Iran. There's Ali Karimi meeting with the German uh, chancellor, whoever mm-hmm. that was. Uh, 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 is that not valuable to be on, on various fronts having this happen? It is valuable, but there is greater value in having a united body uh, working towards this revolution. And I've tried to outline in some of my writing what those might be. So first of all, it's uh, you know having a united group means that Western politicians know who to negotiate with, right? Sure, they, they have piecemeal discussions here and there, but mm. they would actually have an interlocutor with whom to speak. So that's 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 point one. Uh, point two is that this coalition could better guide um, the demonstrations and things that are happening inside the country, right? right? Right now, nobody knows kind of what to do or who to, to whom they should listen. Um, and third, a coalition would actually be able to take certain strategic steps. So this is something I've, I've talked about a lot. I get a lot of hate for it, but that's fine. I'll, I'll say it again. Um, one key thing for our opposition to do is to signal to people in the armed forces and the security forces that they ought to put their weapons down. They ought to break with the system. And the thing that we ought to do is to tell them that if you do this, you will get amnesty um, once the revolution succeeds. This this can only be done if you're off the hook for you're, working. You're for off the, the hook, or you will be you will face much reduced charges mm-hmm. for what you did, you know, while you served the regime. Um, I think that's really going to be one of the key ways where you reduce violence and actually get people to to break with the system and you shatter the system that way. You can only do that if you've got a if you've got some sort of organization that speaks for the opposition that might have a prospect of actually taking power and implementing uh. that that. Um, amnesty. Otherwise, it's just it's just empty, and so you're not going to be able to do. Sorry, on point one, what what what? Which is the having an, a body that the West, mm-hmm. the political leaders or whomever, mm-hmm. uh, know who to negotiate with or talk to. What are the mechanics of that? So that that would be this 
coalition that comes together, appoints a spokesperson or or two, and they say, hey, Anthony Blinken, we want to meet with you? I think that's right. Yeah, that's ultimately what it would be. It would be... So, you know, I don't want to get into a debate about the MEK, which tends to be a controversial debate and gets you nothing but hate from every side. But in the past 40 years, the MEK have been incredibly organized and they've been very good at sort of going and meeting with Western officials and telling them, talk to us. You know, like we are an organization. You know who you're dealing with. You know, here's our clear structure. Um, And Western politicians have been listening to that. Um, If we want our other opposition to be listened to, they ought to similarly be organized, have an organization, have a clear hierarchy in terms of who speaks for this organization. And so so Western politicians would actually know who they're talking to and what positions the opposition actually holds. Okay. And um, you, one of the other things I've heard about this, um, the, the issues I've heard around this coalition, sorry, you threw me for a loop there with the MEK because I, uh, you're right. People do, are not going to take kindly to say, saying anything positive about the MEK, but I, I understand your point yeah. that they've been well organized. I mean, well enough organized that I don't know how it happened, but, uh, but their de facto leader was speaking to Canadian parliamentarians yeah. recently. I mean, uh, in, a, in a sort of high profile, uh, yeah. uh, teleconference or something. And, and, right. and um, shockingly so, because I'm not quite sure who the MEK actually represents and on the ground at this point in terms of yeah. uh, I don't meet the supporters. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but one of the things that's been said about the coalition is that um, it, it it's it's not inside of Iran and that this mm-hmm. this revolution has to happen from inside yep. Iran. How do we deal with that delta? Um, that's a great question. I mean, that's really something that the coalition would have to figure out once it's formed. But um, you know, there are going to have to be leaders inside the country. Some of them may, in fact, be in prison. But we've had movements in the past internationally that have been led by people in prison. You know, I think of South Africa, for example. I think of Burma, um, you know, where famous leaders um, actually helped guide the country from inside the, inside the country and inside the prison. Um, there would have to be coordination, but ultimately it's people inside the country that ought to be calling the shots. We ought to be providing them support and solidarity. Okay, so let let me then segue to your, some of your thoughts on what should be, be happening inside Iran and uh, some more things you've been receiving hate for. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I appreciate you because you're 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 trying to suggest solutions and you're mm-hmm. putting these things out there for discussion and they lead to an animated discussion mm-hmm. and and I, I think that's necessary. I mean, how else how else do we navigate this? So so. Today, you reiterated something that I've heard you intimate before suggest, which is that you don't believe uh, that this revolution will necessarily be successful via violence or that violence um, is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Is that Would that be a correct characterization? That is correct, with the caveat that I don't, condemn the violence from the protesters' side. I think I give them every right to use violence. I just think it's a bad strategy. Okay. So I have um, friends who are passionately uh, involved in speaking out about this revolution who 100% think that that's the only path Mm -hmm. left, which is that there has to be some kind of violent confrontation with the regime. Mm -hmm. Uh, So explain where you're coming from on thinking that that strategy would not work. Sure. So first of all, let me explain the fact that I'm not 
uh, naive about the regime's brutality and its propensity for violence, right? And I think, in, in a way, part of the reason why I'm championing this cause is because I've spent so much time working with political prisoners and the victims of the regime's violence, right? So it's, I, I don't think anyone can stick me with the label of being a regime sympathizer for saying, let's not use violence. Um, I just think that if we try to resort to violent uh, confrontation with the regime, we will lose. You know, here's a regime that's better armed than us, better trained than us, um, and that has no ethical principles. It will unleash the craziest kinds of violence that we would not even think of using. Um, and so we we will, like, if we play by their rules, we will lose. We ought to be thinking differently about how to do this. Um, and I think the models that we have for this, and, you know, I, I put this out on social media and people tell me this is not a very good analogy, but I, I, I think it is. You know, things like the Indian um, anti-colonial movement, the movement, the solidarity movement in Poland, the anti-Jim Crow movement in the in the U.S., they were dealing with very brutal systems, right? Maybe not as bad as the, the Iranian regime, but very brutal systems nonetheless. But what they realized was that if you actually managed to bring thousands, or in Iran's case, I hope, millions of people into the streets, and you occupy those streets, and you sort of cripple the mechanisms by which the oppressive system works, and you demonstrate to the world that you are the oppressed. This combination of things um, eventually yields better results. Um, so you succeed, but also you succeed in a way that leaves a positive legacy that you can build on, as opposed to a legacy of just utter destruction and bloodletting that often, you know, leaves a society worse off as a result. One of the, um, we just put out this documentary that we shot last month in Istanbul, The Revolution from the Backyard, it's called. And one of the people in the film that I talk about who's um, been very outspoken, he's in Istanbul, said during the Green Movement, there were three million of us in the streets and millions more supporting us. And we were so careful to say, Shh, no, don't say Magbag dictator. Mm -hmm. Don't. And in fact, there were those silent yep. protests, right? Yep. Um, famously so. Uh, and he says, why? You know, we could have taken everything down at that time, mm -hmm. and but we we were trying to play within the lines. Yeah, but that's 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 why that you know people cite to me that example and saying, look, nonviolent resistance didn't work in 2009. The reason is because people were not actually calling for the downfall of the regime. Right. That, that's the difference between now and then. Like we ought to be using the same strategy, but with an entirely different goal of actually bringing this regime down to its knees. I see. And do you do you think that um, if there were an, an edict, if everybody said to each other, OK, nonviolence, civil disobedience, basically nonviolence, um, that would somehow bring millions to the streets? I mean, is that what's holding back is the idea of. We don't want to be part of, you know, beating up a Basij guy. Is yeah, you know, I, I talk to I talk to family members, friends. Everybody says, "Look, I really support these protests, but I would not want to send my kid out in the street mm. to potentially die." Right now, that's not to say the civil disobedience. Even five million, ten million people on the streets, people will eventually die because right. Regime even will, if we're practicing nonviolence, non doesn't they will mean be, the regime is. They will right? be violent. I mean, that's that's a part of the nonviolence or civil disobedience strategy, right? You are going to take some blows and you you don't hit back. Um, but what, what we ought to do is try as much as possible to lower the cost for participation. Right now, the cost for participating in street protests is very, very high. That's because the regime can fight, you know, a thousand people, five thousand people. Mm -hmm. It will not be able to fight it as, as successfully if there are five million or ten million people on the streets. It just can't do it. It just doesn't have the resources to do it. 
and 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 this would be done in conjunction with other actions, right? You try to paralyze. You have mass strikes where you paralyze it financially, so it can't pay its people anymore. Right, right. And you know the international community will see you know peaceful protesters being beaten, um, and so the regime gets isolated even further. I mean, this is how the Indian movement, right, won. right, all right, these yeah. movements that they've used right. the same strategy. Uh, although uh, it was also problematic, a lot of people died. It's uh, it's not uh, you know yeah, that's why not course. everybody signs on of to course. you know G- yeah. Gandhi, right? It's a very difficult um, question. Uh, when when you put a statement out there like that mm-hmm. and you get a bunch of feedback, mm-hmm. what are you learning from the feedback? It's a good way to take the temperature yeah, really absolutely. of what what the community, both inside Iran and outside, presumably they follow you and and give you response. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what are you hearing from people? Um, some people are are in agreement and they express gratitude for me voicing this view. Um, other people just you know assuming they're speaking good faith. I mean, there's a lot of crazy people on on social media. Uh, but assuming they're speaking good faith, they just write me off as as a as an idealist who doesn't understand what's happening on the ground. And what I try to stress to them is like, no, I'm actually very aware of the brutality of this regime. But I think that if we try to out brutalize them, we will fail. And civil disobedience or nonviolence has been a a reformist talking point to a certain extent too. That's that's so, right. Yeah. Well, and people who know you know that that's. Yeah. You've kind of made a name for yourself being an anti, you know, Nyack or reformist, but yeah. that must be an interesting position for you to be in to be yeah, accused it's, of it's, being. It's, a- it's funny. People that don't know my history will often say, "Oh, you know, you're you're a reformist." You know, we tried this back in 2009. I'll say, "No, no, no. Actually, in 2009, when you were out voting, I was saying you can't reform the system." So I was right then. Perhaps give me the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I do know something about this regime. Let's um, let's end where we began in terms of what what you're feeling like. Uh, 14 weeks in um, there is a there's a creeping feeling uh, that that uh, that folks are having uh, that um, I talked about again on Monday and and I'm certainly fighting uh, fighting it and fighting those who who suggest it that that this is just not happening this is not, it's not going to happen and and um, you know, all our of our hopes were that this time, but uh, it's slowing down. There's a crackdown. There's, um, and one of the things that I say about why we can't think that way is that uh, if we take our foot off the pedal, we are abandoning those people who are on death row. We are yeah. abandoning those twenty thousand who mm-hmm. who have been detained. We're, we're abandoning those kids who've been murdered, mm-hmm. uh, whose names we know. Yeah. Um, but. How do you respond to 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 those around you who may be suggesting that kind of deflation at this yeah. point? I mean, I'll, I'll circle back to what I said initially. So, first of all, you know, a revolution, as you eloquently put it, is is not linear, right? It, it goes up and down. So, you got to keep that in mind. Secondly, all of us have a moral responsibility to keep our foot on the gas. We just we just owe it to the people that just have displayed such unbelievable courage, courage that I would not have had to go out and face these bullets. Um, to, to demand freedom. And finally, I'll say, you know, there's there's a video clip that I watch, and there, there are a lot like it, but it's in a junior high school or something where there are girls that are just going after their vice principal and yeah. calling him a vestige and just beating the shit out of him. Not, not literally, yeah. but just, just going after him. That video fills me with so much hope, and it's the thing that tells me this revolution is going to win, right? As I mentioned, fear is the thing that, dic- that keeps dictatorships in power. And those girls they are not gonna be subjugated anymore. They demand their freedom, millions of other people like them do. You can't keep a regime in power when your citizens so clearly and obviously despise you. This regime will fall. It's, uh, 
it's going to be a matter of months or a year or two, but I, I have no doubt this regime will fall. It's um, I appreciate you coming in and, and doing this. It's it's a you're you're a kid uh, who um, also grew up um, in the West and uh, did your schooling here, and and it's it's kind of a weird time, isn't it, to be you see everybody celebrating Christmas and mm-hmm. uh, my family certainly isn't into it this year. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, you have a young family. How 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 are you processing the holiday time with yeah. um, dealing with what's happening in our homeland? Yeah, it's it's incredible. Actually, my kids um, who are very young have really taken an interest in Iran and we try to cultivate that. Um, we're, you know, we're still in a celebratory mood. Last night, um, I don't know when this will this will this podcast will air. Today. But, oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. So, so you last can night, be, you're yeah. in real time. time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So last night with Yadla, we had a Yadla celebration. We're going to have a Christmas celebration. Celebration, I think, is a form of resistance. This is a regime that has tried to impose a culture of mourning and death on a country. And I think one of the greatest things you can do is dance and be happy and sing and say, life is worth living. All right. Well, that's... Uh yeah, you're going to win some. Yeah, there's some members of our team who've been saying that and and, and getting browbeaten for weeks now uh, for saying so. But um, so you will you will celebrate Christmas. Absolutely, woman, woman, life, freedom. Like the life part of it is is just as important as, as anything else. We ought to be celebrating life. Kavish Shavers, thanks for being here. Thanks Again, so much, John. It's always a pleasure. Happy Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Kavish Ahruz, the lawyer and human rights activist here in the Rook Studio. This is it for this edition of Rook. Episode 225. Thank you to the amazing team who put this show together. Uh, Roham, Anahita, Parisa, Pega, Marathon, and Shia. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. And check out our new Facebook page that we just put up after the last one was hacked and went down. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. The Facebook page is Rook Media, by the way. Uh, find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, Mizunbashi. See you Monday.